2 Timothy 3, watch what he does. This know also in verse 1, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of who? Okay, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Verse 5. With all that, what is there? What goes right along with it? Having a form of what? Mm-hmm. But denying the power thereof, he says, stay away. Now jump to chapter 4. Chapter 4, still dealing with this, we're approaching end times. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will what? Not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall what? Heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That is the idea that they're basically going to be doing what to people's ears? tickling their ears, making them feel good about what they're saying. And so this is a description of what's happening towards end times. Well, when we start taking those surveys and comparing to people to say, well, I have nothing to do with church, but I'm still very spiritual, but I don't do the worship that God demands. Wait a minute, that's a form of godliness that people will claim despite the fact that they aren't having that that time under the word of God. And so that is one of the signs. Let's talk about the end times. Those of you who haven't been with us, what we did in the last couple of weeks is set out some of the foundation of it. We're talking about the next major event that occurs. The next major event has to do with the return of Jesus Christ. That is part of the return of Jesus Christ. We made these observations for those of you who weren't here in the past, in the last week or so, that a lot of the Bible talks about Jesus coming again. His second coming. The time when he's going to come as king and power and great glory. In fact, Jesus talked about it while he was there on earth that he's going to leave and he's going to come again. The apostles said that after he had ascended into heaven, he's coming again. And so the angels, even when he's ascending, say the same Jesus shall come again. So this idea of Jesus coming again is not something that people have made up. This is something that comes from the word of God that Jesus is coming one day soon. Now the question that we have is when is he coming back? Now we start taking that idea of let's examine the scriptures, the passages that talk about he is coming again. He is coming again. He is coming again. And when we start laying out in the New Testament and the Old Testament some of the different descriptions of what happens when he comes back again. What's it going to be like? What's he going to do? Where's he going to go? Who's going to be with him? And we start making comparison of these texts. Here's what we end up with. We end up with some texts that seem to contradict each other. So we could conclude the Bible is inconsistent. Or we can conclude that maybe some of those texts where it talks about him coming again with, yeah, this time coming to uh, Jerusalem, another time coming to the clouds, we'd have to spiritualize one of those. Well, maybe the clouds, the, the, the coming to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is referencing clouds in heaven that are called Jerusalem. And we have to start spiritualizing or explaining away some of the passages. Or what we end up saying is it's all there. There's no contradiction. We don't have to spiritualize. But what we've come up with is that there's two phases to his his coming. He's going to come to the clouds at one time, and then he's going to come to the earth when he comes and completes 
his full coming again. And so there's two different phases to that. And we're going to opt to be the third one because it seems to be a consistent, literal reading of the scriptures. When we start reading in passages, we start comparing. We talk about some passages that we looked at last week and mentioned these, that he says he's coming when he comes again, he's coming down to the earth. Others say he's coming to the, oh, the clouds. Some passages say when he comes, he's going to stay on the earth. Some passages say when he comes, he's going to return to heaven with his saints. Some say that when he comes, he's going to judge the lost. Some say that when he comes, he's going to judge his believers. Some say that he's going to come as king. Some say that he's coming as a groom rescuing his bride. Some passages talk about he's going to focus on the nation of Israel when he comes back. Some say when he comes back, he's going to focus on his bride rescuing her. Some of the texts talk about that when he comes, he's going to come with his angels and saints. And then other passages say, wait a minute, he's going to take the saints away from this earth. Well, that all putting that together that much, it's like, okay, there's either contradictions or he comes at one time and does these things, and then he comes, the second half of his coming is going to be all the other things. That's what we're saying. We conclude by taking a literal approach. There's more passages. There are passages that talk about who he's focusing on, passages that say when he comes, it's going to be very gradual. They're going to see him descending from heaven with the angels. In fact, they're going to attack him, the people on the earth, according to Revelation 19. Some say when he comes, some texts say he's going to come in the atomist in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And so it's going to be that sudden, that swift. Some say that there's lots of signs. Others say that with his coming, there's no signs. Nothing needs to be fulfilled. Well, again, we're coming and saying, well, what it is, is there's two phases. And what's interesting is in First Thessalonians, he said, what I'm talking about, he makes it clear, the idea of him coming in the clouds, coming by myself with just one angel, making noise. I'm going to take my saints away. We're going to meet in the air. We're going to go back. That time when he's talking about in First Thessalonians, Four, if you join me there. We're going to look at this text in a few moments. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it calls it a mystery. A mystery in Scripture means something previously not talked about. And so a lot of those other passages in the Old Testament, a lot of the passages when Jesus, speaking in the Gospels, was referring to when he's coming to the earth, when he's coming to judge the lost, when he's coming to focus on Israel, when he's completing history. But Paul reveals to us that there's a time before that that he's going to come in the clouds, snatch away his saints, take his bride out of here, and then he's going to focus on him. We would say, by comparison, that what we have is his second coming to earth is, the, is part of what's being talked about, and what we call an event called the rapture. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, it's one of those texts that talks about this event that many of you already know, but in case somebody doesn't know, let's talk about it. First Thessalonians 4 gives us an idea about the rapture, and let me explain a couple things that are very important. The term rapture is not found in the Bible. If somebody says to you that the rapture is not found in the Bible, well, the word is not. That is true. But there's a lot of words that aren't found in the Bible that we use. The word trinity is not found in the Bible. The concept is. The word the word for Sunday school is not found in the Bible. There's lots of ideas of we have, we have different words not found, but the, but the explanation or the event is described. 
Actually, the word rapture comes from Latin, and it means simply to catch away or to rescue somebody. And so as the church was growing and developing, they wrote terms, and they said, okay, this rapture is a rescuing. It's taking away, and the, it's, it, the description of the event is found in different passages. The passage we're going to focus on right now is 1 Thessalonians 4. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, he writes to the believers, the debate, the discussion that is going on is these people are in a church like you are. And some of their relatives are dying. They had heard that Jesus was coming back and that he, his saints would not die anymore if they believed in him. They would be resurrected. They'd be given new bodies. But all of a sudden, some of them are dying. Some of the people in the church were saying, well, wait a minute, what happens to the people, my, my, my spouse, my parents, who are believers and they've died? What if Jesus comes back? Will they miss his coming back? Will they be a part of his coming back? And it's never been revealed before. And so Paul writes to answer their questions and he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or dead, that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them that sleep or who have died in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the, the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The passage that, that he's using here is one of your most clear, clear passages that talks about, but it's not the only one. In 1 Corinthians, we read these words in 1 Corinthians 15, where he's talking about this idea of the resurrection. He says in verse 51, Behold, I show you... Uh, anybody remember? I show you a mystery, something not before spoken about. We shall not all die, but we shall sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised resurrected, incorruptible, and we shall then be changed as well. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. And so he's talking about a quick, a quick event that's going to take place. Revelation 4 gives us a little bit more information about this. Okay, that we're going to be in Revelation 4 in a few moments. John chapter 14 is a passage most of you know. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are... And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto... Okay. And so we have those passages. Revelation 4, he's talking about the idea of the saints in heaven. And we'll get to there in a few moments. You may want to turn there. We're going to, we're going to end up there. Okay. Here's what else we know. Okay. This idea of the rapture is not a, is not a term, but the concepts in Scripture. There's multiple passages that refer to it. Per the text, here's what we know this event's going to be happening. Paul even says that we know this is going to happen to us. It's in a moment. It's at any, it's at any second, and uh, it's going to take place. And so he says in this, in this thing that, that we which are alive remain. The Lord is at hand. Our salvation is nearer than when we believed. While looking for the blessed hope. 
Paul expected it at any moment, okay, under the inspiration of Scripture, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We know this as well. When it happens, this event's going to happen quickly, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We know that when, when it happens, Jesus is coming to the heavens that is, the clouds, okay? And he's going to gather up the New Testament age saints, the church saints, the believers from Pentecost on. And he's going to gather them up from the earth. Now, what he has clarified in this text, that uh, the dead who have died during this period since around 30 AD on, the dead who are believers all the way up to your friends and family who have passed away, who are born again, they are going to be raptured, rescued. Their bodies will be taken first, right out of the graves, or the waters, or the dust, whatever. Their bodies will be reformed, which is no problem with God. If God can make man from dust, he can surely regather the, what's, what's needed to reform our bodies. And he'll take our bodies out of the ground, or out of wherever they are, and they will be reunited with their spirit. That's the resurrection body. That's going to happen to the dead in Christ first. Then he talks about that those of us who are alive and remain, and Paul expected him, will be physically taken and somewhere between here, when we're taken from here to meet the Lord in the clouds, our bodies will be changed as well to be those glorified, those resurrection bodies, whatever bodies, you, whatever term you want to use. Glorified, resurrected, heavenly bodies. That's all happening to not only the dead, but also to us who are living. And we will all be gathered together in the clouds, meet Christ there, and then the passage talks about we're going to return with Jesus to heaven. You say, that sounds too phenomenal. It's a miracle. There's no doubt about it. It's a miracle, but it's a work of God. And it's going to happen sometime. And so all of us will then have our new bodies, those bodies that, that will no longer suffer illness, those bodies that will no longer have any pain, those bodies that will no longer have any issues. You won't need medication. You won't need you know, the, uh, the replacement of the knees. You won't need you know, your pacemakers. You won't need glasses. You won't need doctors and insurance companies. Okay? It's, we're going to be changed, okay? You will no longer set off those metal detectors, okay? It's, you're going to be changed. Okay, we'll meet Christ, and then it says we are ever with the Lord, so we'll go back to heaven with him, and we stay with him. When he comes back to earth later after that, several years later, the Bible will indicate he comes down to planet earth. When Revelation 19 talks about him coming from heaven, at that time, which is a gradual descent at that time, who is with him? We will be with him. His angels and his saints that are coming down from heaven with him, because we're ever with the Lord. And when he comes down to Jerusalem and sets up his new world capital, we will be with him because it says we will ever be with the Lord. And so that's the, how this thing unfolds, okay, that there's, uh, there's these events. Okay? The, um, so when we're taken back to heaven, I understand that when we're taken to heaven, there's going to be our judgment. Our judgment will not be whether or not we can be in heaven because okay, we're there. Okay? Bottom line is, if we're taken to heaven, we're in heaven. Okay, and so we're not going to be determined whether or not we are going to be able to be in heaven because we're saved, as somebody just said. We're going to be with him, but rather what he's going to judge is our works, our labors that we did during our lifetime since we were born again. And he will reward us with 
crowns, and those crowns are basically are not, they're not the royal crown, they're the idea of a medallion or something that's the olive leaf that was given to those who ran the races. That's the idea that he gives us, those rewards for being faithful, for doing a variety of things. We'll talk about what those crowns are. The event is definitely going to happen. This rapture, this event where we're suddenly taken away. How do we know that? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. He's very clear. He says, this isn't something I thought of. This is what God said. Jesus said, I will come again and receive you. If it were not so, I would have told you. So if we doubt that this is happening, whose character are we questioning? Okay, we're, we're, chat, we're questioning Jesus Christ. Whether or not he's fooling us or lying to us. And so you and I have to make a decision. Do we believe Jesus is Lord or liar? And so if we believe he's Lord, we believe these events are going to take place. When is it going to take place? This is the very important question that we have that's debated in the church. Some will say, wait a minute, it couldn't happen at any moment. And there's a reason why they say that. There's two passages they point to. If you go to the end of the book of John, the end of the book of John, this is a passage that is frequently stated and pointed out that Jesus could not come at any moment, that this idea of an imminency, this idea that, that God could come back and Paul expected it, that's not true, some will argue. He couldn't have come back at any moment, based on John 21. John chapter 21, if you jump down into this text, and this is what happens when you get into a Bible study. You say, okay, we, Jesus said he could come. Paul said any moment. Well, others are going to study different passages. And so we look at different passages and we say, is there a contradiction? And it's a worthwhile study to look at the passages and say, well, it says this here, such as he's coming to the clouds, but it says he's coming in the heavens. Well, we need to understand which one it is, or is it both? We have concluded it's both, because it's two different phases of his future return. One to the clouds to rescue saints, one he's going to come to earth. What about he's coming at any moment? Some say that can't be true. Jesus didn't mean that. And they'll jump to this passage, verse 18 of John 21. Verily, and this is when Jesus has had that supper by the seaside with the disciples. They had, after he uh, resurrected, they had gone a-fishing. They're out fishing, and remember, they caught no fish. Jesus comes on shore and says, cast your net on the right side. They get this miraculous number of fish, and Peter immediately recognizes that's Jesus. Peter jumps into the water, swims to shore, and he leaves all of his friends to get the fish to the shore. When they get to shore, what is Jesus doing? Anybody remember what he's doing? He's cooking their breakfast, okay? So he's got their breakfast going, and then what happens is he gets into a conversation after they've eaten. Here's the conversation, that he starts talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, if you love me, or he asks him, Peter, do you really love me? Because what had Peter done just days before this? He had denied the Lord. He says, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him, right before he was crucified. And he did it how many times? Three times. And so Jesus, in this passage, and by the way, be the, the, the last supper before Peter denied he said even though everybody else will deny you I won't because basically I love you more than all of these men so now a couple few weeks later Jesus is there talking with Peter and he starts the conversation that if you and I were Peter we would be so distraught that he asks us again he brings it up Peter do you love me and Peter responds and says, Lord, I really, if we were going to do it in the English, I like you an awful lot. Peter's very cautious. 
He had been very forth, you know, very bold before, but now he's very cautious. The humility of the embarrassment of denying Christ has taken hold. And Jesus said, do you really love me? Lord, I like you so much. And then Jesus asks him again. He says, do you love me? He says, Lord, I, I really, really, really like you as best I can. And then he had said to him, okay, if you really do that, then feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Now after that, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, when you were young, you girded, you dressed yourself, and you walked whither you would. But when you shall become old, you shall stretch forth your hands, and another shall bind you or gird you and carry you whither you would not. What's he, what's he telling Peter? What's that? He's talking about Peter. He's talking about Peter. You're going to suffer persecution. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be bound. Uh, you're, going to, you're going to not be in control of your own life. When's it going to happen to you, Peter? When you get old. Okay, what's Jesus implying? As far as time. There, there's, there's going to be some more time here, Peter. There's going to be time that, you know, that's, that's happening. Now, now remember, here, here's something. In, in Acts chapter 1, you look over just a few pages. In Acts chapter 1, that uh, when, when Jesus was ready to ascend, the disciples said, Lord, is it time that you're setting up your... Okay, Jesus has already said to them a few days before, Peter, you're going to grow old. He's already hinted at, I'm not coming back immediately. I'm not setting up my kingdom immediately. There's more time in here. There's a time frame. And so he goes on and says, This, uh, this spake he signifying by what death Peter should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he, Jesus said to Peter, Keep following me. Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following, and said, the one who leaned upon Jesus' breast at the Last Supper, this is the Apostle John. He said, uh, Lord, okay, which is he that betrays thee? That's, that's what John had asked. Peter, seeing John, said to Jesus and said, what shall happen to this guy? Okay, what's going to happen to John? And Jesus responds, if I will that he tarry till I come, what's that to you? He might live until I come back. Okay, you just have to worry about who. For worry about yourself. Follow you, 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 you. Follow me is the idea at the end of the verse. Don't worry about John. Worry about Peter. This went then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciple, that is the apostle John, should never die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall never die. But if I will tarry, or if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? And see. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine people hearing something and distorting it? Okay, and not getting the full sense? That's exactly what happened in verse 23. And he's saying that's what they did with, with John. People started saying, well, Jesus promised that John would never die. No, he didn't. He just said, if he doesn't die until I come back, that's none of your business. He didn't promise it. He just made it as a hypothetical statement. This is the disciple which testifies of these things. That's John saying, it's me. Okay, and wrote these things, and we know that. And there was also many other signs. Because of this story, some have concluded we cannot teach that the rapture could happen at any moment, and maybe the rapture is even questionable. Because Paul is saying it could happen at any moment, but Jesus said Peter's going to live older and die in, in years to come. Okay? So we cannot believe in the imminency of the rapture. Oh, in fact, there's another passage. In Luke 21, this is the passage where Jesus is looking at Jerusalem, 
the week before he dies. He's looking at Jerusalem, overlooking the city, and he's crying for Jerusalem. What's he say about Jerusalem? I would have gathered you like a hen would gather her chicks. But what does he say? You shall be what? You're going to be destroyed. There's not going to be a rock left upon, another stone left upon, another stone. In other words, the city's going to be totally torn down. When did that happen? Now, Jesus is speaking this around 28 AD. When does Jerusalem get totally destroyed? 70 AD. And so some conclude, see, you cannot believe in a rapture happening at any moment because Jesus said Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. So even though Paul indicated that there's going to be this event, that it could happen at any moment, and he said he's going to be there, Jesus made it very clear it's that it's not going to happen at any moment because Peter had to live to an older life and Jerusalem had to be destroyed. So the rapture couldn't happen at any time. The rapture probably has to happen after the tribulation. It has to happen at another time. It can't be any moment event. Some have concluded that, that really nowhere in the New Testament, therefore, is the imminent idea even referred to in Scripture. And then they add this one. They add Romans 15, verse 24. Romans 15, verse 24 is when Paul is writing and Paul is saying to the believers, I am planning to come to you in Rome and I want you to help me as a missionary to get to where? Anybody remember? To go to the farthest western part of the, of the continent. Why don't you go to Spain? Okay. And so they're saying if Paul really believed that the Lord was coming back at any moment, why is he making plans to make another missions trip. So we can't believe in the rapture happening at any moment. We can't believe in, in the, those events because Paul made plans for the future. Okay, how would you respond to this? No one knows the time. No one knows when it's happening. Okay? Can, can, I, can I throw this out? Do you, do you think the Lord could come back at any moment? Okay, do you still make plans? Well, then, you, then the conclusion of some of these is, well, then you don't believe the Lord could come back at any moment because you're making plans. Does that logic make sense to you? What's that? Yeah, yeah. If, if, if that's where you're going with this, then what are they saying? We should do absolutely nothing. Okay? In fact, isn't that the issue of Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, he writes and he says that some of you are sitting in church and because you believe the Lord is coming back at any moment, what have you done with your jobs? You have quit your jobs and you're sitting at home on your veranda looking up and waiting for the Lord to return. And you're not working anymore. And he has to write and say to them, if a man doesn't work... He shouldn't eat. Okay? Now, the reason that they stopped working is kind of noble. They believe the Lord's returning, but the practical application of it was, can I, for sake of other words, stupid, okay, lazy, irrational. And so in the scriptures, just because we believe the Lord's coming back doesn't mean we should stop making plans doesn't mean that we should stop preparing for the future. 
Okay, we believe the Lord's coming back, therefore, you know, let's spend all of our money right now. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we might get raptured. Is that responsible living? No. But for a pietist, somebody who wants to twist Scripture, that's where they go with it. And so some who have made those statements that say, well, because of, because of Paul made plans, you can't believe in the imminency, that's just foolish. To, that, there's no logic in that. There's no, you know, why would you say that? Besides, just because Jesus knew the timetable that we don't know, he knew Jerusalem would be destroyed in 70 AD. He knew what day Peter would die. That doesn't mean that we should deny him he could come back at any moment. Okay? Because God knows more than us. God knows when he's coming back. So from God's perspective looking down, does he know the timetable? Does he know everything that's going to happen to you? Yes, no? Okay, from our perspective looking up, what do we know about tomorrow? Nothing. Okay, what do we know about his return? He's coming. He's coming. When, when do we know he's coming? We don't know. But from God's perspective, does God know? And so God can say, oh, by the way, just to reveal two things, before I come back, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. That doesn't take away from our perspective that he could come back from a human point of view. He could come back any moment. And we ought to live as if he's coming back at any moment. And so you, the way we should respond is, okay, wait a minute. There's an abundance of passages of scriptures that say the Lord is at hand. We made this comment before, 50-some statements in the New Testament. Over 50 statements in the New Testament that talk like this, we which are alive and remain. Paul fully expected that the Lord would return and rapture him during his, his lifetime. We who are alive and remain. He believed he would be raptured. Um, don't you? Don't most of us think? Okay, you start reading books in church history. When did most, throughout history, when did believers think the rapture could happen? Any moment. Any moment. All the believers through church history thought it could happen today and living as today. In fact, a lot of you in this room didn't think we would be, get beyond the year 2000. Right? Yeah, Y2K, remember? Okay. Um, but we, we expected, I got saved in 1973. I thought we would never see the 80s. In some ways, I wish I hadn't. Uh, <laughs> some of the clothing in particular. Um, so, you know, we, we, we think it's happening at any moment. We look for the upper taker, not the undertaker. And our faith isn't demolished because Jesus knew certain events would take place throughout history. And, you know, like the destruction of Jerusalem, we still believe it could happen in any moment. Okay? Besides, the two events that are used to say the rapture can't happen at any moment, the destruction of Jerusalem and Peter dying, those two events have passed. Why are we even discussing them? Because we're way beyond those two events. If they were the only two events that had to happen before he could return, well, he could have returned any time after 70 AD. Okay, so it's, to me, it's just a mute topic in discussion. Okay, and it's, uh, it's an attack on the, on the 
the sovereign knowledge of God Almighty. So here's where we go, okay? Jesus can come back at any moment. We're, we're saying this. Now, when we talk about the rapture, this is the event. And I understand this is getting a little bit technical, but that's okay. That's what this class is for, okay? This class is talking about, let's deal with some of the issues that you're going to look on the internet, you're going to get books taken to, you're going to sit down and talk with friends, and you're going to hear a variety of different ideas that are being preached, that are being taught about when the rapture could take place. There are some who would say, now wait a minute, when the rapture takes place, here's what they think is going to happen, and they preach this. And by the way, this is a powerful, this makes for good preaching, this one. This one makes for tremendous preaching. It's basically a partial rapture. It says this, only if you who are born again, only if you remain faithful, only if you really live for the Lord all the time, or especially at the moment he returns, you're the only ones that are going to get raptured. Okay, and he's not going to rapture all the, all the believers. He's only going to rapture those who are fully faithful to him. That makes for wonderful preaching. Do you know what I mean? Okay, because what can I say from the pulpit if I say to the, what, what do I tell you? If you get away from the Lord this week, if you don't have devotions, you're going to get left behind. If you're not witnessing, you're going to get left behind. If you use a cuss word, you're going to be left behind. Makes for wonderful preaching, except for it's, it's not, yeah, it's wrong, it's error, it's, it's not true. So, so from a preacher point of view, you say, oh, this would be wonderful to preach, except for if you do that, you're a false teacher. Oh, well, I guess we don't want to do that. Amen. Okay. Now, how do we respond to this idea? How do we respond to those who talk about, and they, they would say that Paul talked about we who are alive remain. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what their basis is. That 1 Corinthians 15 passage, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. Right after that, he says, Therefore, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the... They take that text and they say, it's a rapture passage, which it is. We shall all be changed. And he says, be steadfast, unmovable. Therefore, only those who are steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, are going to be raptured. That, that, that's not what the text says. Okay? I understand that they're close together, but based upon he could come back any moment, we should be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But what happens if we're not? What if we're a believer, but we're having a bad week? I know it never happens to you. Okay. But what if you're having one of those moments where you're just struggling in your faith? Is, you know, does God really answer my prayers? Okay, you're having one of those, those days and he comes back at that day and you're left behind. According to them, that's the possibility based on a misunderstanding of 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I'm not going to say, and I'm not saying the following to encourage you not to be right with the Lord. Okay? That's not what we're saying. But I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. And join me into this text in 1 Corinthians 3. And by the way, this is important you understand this because this is taught in our community. There are churches that are teaching this idea that you can be left behind and Jesus, you know, 
Jesus won't take you to heaven when he comes back. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there's a passage that he's talking about, and it has to do with that idea of judgment. He says, okay, verse 11, for, I'm sorry, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest or judged. Be, he's going to be examining it. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by what? Okay, it's going to be a thorough judgment. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort or motive. It's the quality of it. Okay, the quality, not necessarily quality, quantity, but the quality. Why did you do what you did? If any man's work abide, which he hath built upon, he shall receive a what? Okay, the reward is the idea of the crown. Okay, he's going to receive a crown. And so basically he's using an illustration that your life is like a house you're building. And this building that you're working with is you're working with wood, hay, stubble, or you're working with gold, gems, precious stones, as far as how you live after you've been born again. And he says, okay, God's going to judge it. Whatever's left in the fire, that's going to be your rewards. Okay, did you serve the Lord? Did you share the word? Did you remain faithful to the Lord under pressure? Did you try to live a godly life? Okay, and he's going to, he's going to examine it. But watch verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned totally, he shall suffer loss. But he himself, what? And yet, so as by... Let's put it in modern English. You're going to be saved by the skin of your teeth. Okay. That's the modern. You're still going to get to heaven. Your work, your getting to heaven doesn't depend upon your works or your faithfulness. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be faithful. But as soon as we say that we are, that getting to heaven is dependent upon our works and our faithfulness, what have we done with the work of Jesus Christ? Yeah, we have minimized the work of Jesus Christ. The only reason we get to heaven is because of Jesus Christ. It's not because we're baptized. It's not because we go to church. It's not because we carry a Bible. We don't get to heaven. We don't deserve going to heaven because of our, you know, ourselves, our good works. We don't do that. We get to heaven by one and one reason only, the grace of Jesus Christ. That Jesus forgives us and he pleads our case. He stands before the Father and says, this one has put their trust in me to get him into heaven. And I'm standing in front of you, Father, basically. Let them into heaven because of me, because of our relationship, Jesus' relationship with his Father. We don't get to heaven because of our relationship with the Father, because we have sinned. And so we need a Savior we ask Jesus Christ in faith, please, you get me into heaven. And so then he's the one that intercedes and gets us into heaven. Now, here's the beauty of it. He gets us into heaven, and then he gives us rewards and says, well done, good job. Because after we've believed in him, we've tried to serve him, he rewards us. We don't deserve to get into heaven, and we don't deserve any rewards. It's all by grace. And so what happens if we get saved, but we didn't, we didn't live long enough? It's a, it's a, what's the term? Foxhole conversion? Okay, it's the um, thief on the cross conversion. Okay, that he got saved at the end of his life. He's not going to have any rewards, so therefore he shouldn't go to heaven. That's what this partial rapture is saying. 
unless the person is merited rewards. In other words, this partial rapture says, you get into heaven based upon the blood of Jesus Christ and your good works. Okay, it's, it's a, it's, this is a part, this ends up being works salvation. That is called what in the New Testament? Heresy? Okay. What'd you say, Kevin? Another gospel. And if anybody preach another gospel, let him be accursed or anathema. And so that's why we refute this. Okay. We shall all be changed. Then we must all appear before the Bema Seat. Now remember, he's writing to 1 Corinthians. How has he described the Corinthians? Some of you are spiritual and some of you are carnal. In chapter 3, chapter 1, 2, and 3, the beginning. But he says, all of us are going to get to heaven who are believers. Even if you get saved, yet so as by fire, by the skin of your teeth. All right, you get there and you have nothing to show for it. You're still going to be in heaven. So we refute that idea of that, that partial rapture. We believe that every believer will get raptured. Now, um, does that mean, let me throw this out. Does it mean that everybody who's a church member will be raptured? No. No. We don't know that, but just because you're a church member doesn't mean you're, you're saved. Okay? Is it possible that some people could be saved and they're never a church member? Yeah. Is it possible that some church members are not saved? Yes. Okay. So it's all about that relationship with Christ. There are others that would say this. Let's get a little bit more technical for some. For some. some will say this. Now, if you're with us this morning, you're not understanding terms, let me just explain. The Bible talks most about one future period of time. This, this period of time is the most discussed period of time in prophetic events yet to come. It is called the tribulation. It's called Jacob's trouble. It is called um, the last seven years. It is called the most wicked time in all of history. We're gonna, it's called... Um, uh, uh, I already said Jacob's trouble. Um, it's, we're gonna, we refer to it as the tribulation because that's the most frequent term. It's a period of seven years. During the seven years, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, over 50% of the human population will die within those seven years of those who enter that time period. That's when there's wars and rumors of wars. This is That seven-year period is when you have the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. All those evil, evil, wicked things are going to take place in the tribulation. Now, in our discussion of these events, the question comes up, are we going to be raptured before the beginning of that tribulation, during that tribulation, or after the tribulation? Do we have to face the tribulation? Do we have to face part of it? This is a theological discussion. And again, people are not just coming up with an idea, but they have some verses that they would look at and say, this verse indicates this, that, or the other thing. Those who say that we're going to live in the middle of the tribulation, uh, up until the middle, they would say we're going to live for the first three and a half years, and then we're going to end up getting taken out of the earth, taken to heaven, and we'll miss the last three and a half years, because the last three and a half years are the worst times. Um, and so they have lots of different ideas that come out of it. Let me just refute, because there's two passages that go together here. The refutation is this idea that we would say it removes the imminency, because there's a lot of these prophetic events that have to be fulfilled. It, uh, it confuses this whole time period. This seven-year time period is a Jewish time period based on the book of Daniel. And it confuses this idea of the last trump. 
in First Thessalonians, the last trump shall sound and we shall be taken away. The last trump, there's trumpet judgments that take place in the tribulation. It confuses that. And it says, okay, the last trump must mean referring to the seven trumpet judgments. Not necessarily. Okay, the last trump for the church is different than the seven trumpets for Israel. Okay, they're two different, two different entities. Let, let me jump into this next one, okay? And this is very similar, same thing but different. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 6. And this is the argument that came out a few years ago for this really popular view that's very similar to the mid-trib as far as timing, but a little bit different. But there, it's based on this one verse, primarily. In Revelation chapter 6. Go down to verse 17. Okay, and let me set the scene. Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is the picture of Jesus on the throne. And, this every, and all the peoples in heaven are singing, Worthy is the Lamb. Do you remember this? Okay, power and great glory. And there's a scroll on the side. And they're crying, they're saying, Nobody is worthy to open up this scroll. That brings, a, and it's, it's the prophecies of the last few days to bring about what has to happen before the kingdom. But the lamb takes the scroll and he opens it. And he opens it section by section. Each one of those sections is what? Sealed. And he breaks the seal and opens it. How many are there? Seven seals that he breaks. And each one of them is a different judgment. And that seal judgment that he opens goes until the middle of this tribulation period. Okay, and that's chapter 6 is those seal judgments that we'll get into, we'll look into. Look at verse 17. At the end of the seal judgments, which is close to, right on, somewhere around the middle of the tribulation, it says, For the great day of his wrath is come, who shall be able to stand? Oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's when, according to the interpretation, this is when the day of wrath begins. And we have been told that we are going to be rescued from the wrath to come. Therefore, this first three and a half years is not the period of wrath, but the second three and a half years, basically. And so we're raptured before the period of wrath begins. Because we're saved from the wrath to come. First Thessalonians chapter 1, 10, verses 9, chapter 5, right around verse 9, 9 and 10. We're saved from the wrath to come. Therefore, putting the passages together, we're raptured somewhere before the, at the end of the sealed judgments. Based on this verse. In the King James. Okay. And uh, so our refutation is very simple. The refutation is the verb in the original language. The great day of wrath has come, aorist tense, which means it's an act that's happened in the past. So already he's referring to in verse, verse 17 that the wrath of God has already come. It's already started. It's already been here. Okay, it's not at the la- now, boom, right now. It's come right now. The aorist is the idea. It's it's been around for a while already. Okay. So we would respond, wait, that, that can't be. That can't be. Just to try to designate just one half of the tribulation as the period of wrath, that doesn't fit the verb. 
Okay, he's done it. Then there are those who say, wait a minute, he only comes at the end of the seven years. We're going to live through all the seven years. And he comes back, picks us up, and then he takes us to heaven and brings us right back down like a yo-yo. Okay, and we come back. And again, it mixes up the trumpets. And this is based on Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is Jesus is talking about right before he comes, two shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other one left. Two shall be grinding, one shall be taken, the other one left. See, we're going to get raptured, taken away at those moments. At the end, right before he comes back to the earth. And I remind you that Matthew 24, those who are taken away when he comes back are taken away to judgment because the passage talks about as in the day of Noah, people were taken away, but Noah was left. So that taking away in Matthew 24 is not rapture, it's judgment. It's end times judgment. So with that in mind, let me just finish this out, okay? The refutation and get you where we want to be, okay? That we're talking about. Let's, let's start in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Let's jump there. And let's, let's do just a minute's worth here. Okay. I believe this. And here's the reason I believe that we are going to be raptured, taken away at any moment. And sometime after that, the tribulation starts. We won't have to live in that worst period if we're born again. The reason I believe that is multiple different passages of Scripture. Let's start with Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, jump down to verse 10. He's talking in this section to the churches. Chapters 2 and 3 are to the seven churches that are in that uh, Middle East region. And he says to the one church, Because you have kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the earth to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Okay. Now watch several things in that verse. Okay. According to that verse, it talks about there's going to come a period of testing or tribulation. This period of testing is an hour or a set time period that the readers already know about. The hour of trial that they already have an inkling about. The testing that's going to come is worldwide, according to verse 10. Not just in their city, but in the entire world. The saints are going to be kept not through it, but very clearly, you're going to be kept out of. In the original language, to keep the from has the idea of you're going to be kept out. You're not going through the fiery furnace. You're going to be kept out of the fiery furnace. And so according to this text, there's a worldwide period of judgment that the Christians are not going to face. There is only two possible worldwide judgments that the believers did not or will not face. The first one was back in the day of Noah when how much of the earth was judged. All of it by, by floodwaters. Okay? And the believers were, were kept. Okay? And they didn't experience that. Now in that one, God saw them through. In this one, the other worldwide period of judgment, the tribulation, is, or the other, the other worldwide tribulation uh, judgment is the tribulation. It's the only other one in Scripture. And this time we're not going to be kept through it, but we're going to be kept out of it. Now we're going to add to that several other passages of Scripture. Next week we'll pick up. This is the clearest passage of Scripture. Second Thessalonians. We'll pick up there next week.